Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We are continuing our journey in this first epistle of Peter. Last week we looked at the elect of God because that's who Peter says that we are, God's elect. He goes on and he explained to us who the elect were and why they were elect, chosen by and according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus and sprinkling by his blood. He reminded us last week the reason for election, God the Father, the revealer of election, God the Spirit, as he regenerates us to new life and quickens us to believe. And then we saw the results of election, the Son who saves and secures us through his sacrifice on a cross. And so today we are going to see Peter in light of those things that he was teaching in our lesson last week in the first two verses, in verse 3. He's going to pause for a moment after this deep theological truth surrounding God's election. And he's going to pause for a doxology. And I want you to get that. I want you to understand that as a congregation. That true theology ought to bring all of us to true doxology. That when we see the attributes of God, when we know who he is, when we know what he has accomplished, when we see his character that he reveals in his word, it ought to cause us to worship the Lord. It ought not to be a guy holding a guitar or someone playing an instrument. It ought to be the fact of who God is. Good theology always leads to proper doxology. That's where we're going to find Peter begin this section today in verse 3. In just a moment, he's going to give God praise. And he's going to praise him for the mercy that he has received and that we who are in Christ have received, though we deserve nothing from God, except for his justice and his wrath. I want to make it crystal clear this morning so that we all understand this. God owes us nothing. Nothing. The arrogant man believes that God owes him mercy. The true Christian, he humbly bows and prays in adoration, doxology, toward God the Father for the mercy that he has received that he does not deserve. So we see that today as Peter is going to teach us about mercy. But before we jump into that, just so that we're clear on this, so that we're clear on the mercy of God and how we receive that, it is because, and only because, he has chosen to show us his mercy. Don't, don't forget last week's lesson because we're going into another lesson. He has chosen us in Christ to receive great mercy. Now, pay attention to what Paul says about God's mercy in Romans chapter 9, verse 14, as sort of an intro this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, what shall we say then? In verse 14 of chapter 9, what shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. 
For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. What is Paul saying here? It's up to God. He decides. He decides who receives his mercy. That's why today, if you're a recipient of his mercy, it ought to cause you to bend the knee, to get on your face, and to say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy that you have given me, because you owed me nothing. You chose to give me mercy when I deserved hell. He says in verse 16, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Oh, where would we be without God's great mercy? I can tell you exactly where Kirk Hall would be. Hell for all eternity. He says in verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very reason, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God raised Pharaoh up, the ruler of Egypt, the mighty ruler and warrior. Yes, he did. And you know why he raised him up? To bring him down. I raised you up for this purpose so that my glory might be seen. Watch what he says in verse 18. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. You're in Christ. You should rejoice this morning because he could have, and in my case, probably should have, hardened me and allowed me to remain in my sin and in my filth and in my wickedness, but because of his great mercy. He made me alive in Christ Jesus even when I was dead in my sin. Oh, may we see today the great mercy of our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to see that mercy as a gift of His grace. That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to see the great gift of God's mercy. Or, we could put it this way, as the title says, the gifts of God's great mercy. And you say, well, why is that plural? Isn't mercy just one gift? No, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It is a gift of His grace. But inside of mercy, it includes many gifts, three of which the Apostle Peter is going to cover for us today. Spurgeon said this, he said, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space, talking about outer space, too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. All those men of yesteryear understood the greatness of the mercy of God. That's why they preached it with such passion and such unction and such urgency. Oh, today we find in the church not much talk about the great mercies of God that we all need. We find much talk about how to live a life in this world, forgetting that we are passing through this life and that this is but temporary. The only hope that we have beyond this is the great mercies of God, which we will be looking at today. Peter says this. We examine this text today in verse 3, chapter 1. He starts that doxology and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Go back to verse 2. Because we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by His blood. Grace and peace to you to be yours in abundance. He was overwhelmed that a holy God would ever choose Him. He was desiring that the people that He was writing to, the elect of God, the church, that they would too be overwhelmed, and God would ever choose them and show them mercy and grace. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in His great mercy. Aren't you thankful today that His mercy is great? Well, I'm thankful today that His mercy is not common mercy that man gives. His mercy is great mercy from God. It's different than anything that we could ever even imagine. This is in His great mercy. Why is that so comforting to me? Because I need great mercy. I'm a great sinner. I've let God down and disobeyed His commands more than a man should be willing to admit that His grace and His mercy in Christ Jesus is still greater than all of my sin, just as we sang a moment ago. Do we believe these things? Or do we just sing them because they're playing them on the popular Christian radio stations? Do we believe them? Just praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter believes it. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I want us to look at the gifts of God's great mercy this morning as outlined so beautifully here by Peter. The first one that I want us to look at, the first gift that comes because of God's great mercy is this new birth. New birth, verse 3. He told, he told us this as he's praising the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us New birth into a living hope. New birth. I want you to stop and think for a second about that new birth, the fact that you have been born again. If you are in Christ, you have been born again, born of God. You were once born of man, but if you're in Christ, you have been born of God. According to John chapter 3, Jesus lays this out beautifully for Nicodemus to understand. You must be born of the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. And so we've received mercy in the fact that He has allowed us to be born again, that He has allowed us sovereign regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit unto new birth. Titus says this, as Paul is writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, at one time, we too were foolish. Yes, I was. Disobedient. Yes, I was. Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Yes, yes, I was. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Isn't that good? Because He just told us of all the righteous things we weren't doing. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His, say it with me, class, mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When does he do this? At the new birth, at regeneration, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our 
Savior. When we look at the new birth, we must see the new birth as a merciful gift from God. He did not have to regenerate any of you. Did you know if he just would have saved one person by his great mercy, we would still have to admit that his mercy is great. But here we are in a room where many of us have truly experienced the new birth. And we can say this, without the great mercy of God, we would still be dead in our sin and in our transgression. It is in the new birth that he reveals to us the greatness of his mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says it like this, As for you, Kirk Hall, I don't look on your Bible and try to find my name there, but it should be. He says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. All of us. Gratifying. What? Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. By nature. Objects of wrath. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Every one of you in this service, myself included, objects of God's wrath apart from his great mercy. You can go up in our children's ministry in that room, walk in there and all those little sweet children. Objects of his wrath because of their sin. You can walk down the hall. You can even go into infant classrooms. They were born under the sin that Adam had committed. Objects of God's wrath. Watch what he says next. But... Because of his great love for us. God. Who does it? God. Who is rich in mercy. What did he do? Because of his great mercy. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What is he saying? He's saying that the new birth is a gift from God. And it is a gift from God's mercy. Let us see the greatness of his mercy today. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth. He goes on to say this, into a living hope. And whether you know this or whether you don't, before you were in Christ, you had no hope at all of anything good. The only hope that you had, and you probably didn't even realize that was the hope you had. You had the hope of judgment that was to come and hell that was to come upon your life. But in Christ, because of his mercy and giving us new birth, he says we have a living hope. Now, a living hope is different than what we have as humans when we wish or we hope. We, we know what that is, a wishful thought, right? I, I hope it works out this way, or I hope it works out that way. Or as we do in our selfishness, I hope I get what I want, what I desire. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about something completely different. This living hope is speaking of confident expectation. When we have living hope in Christ because of his great mercy in our new birth, we have confident expectation. Our expectation is more than a wish. It's a living guarantee. Our hope is really alive. When, when we say that we trust in Christ and when we really trust in Christ, we have that living hope that penetrates every single area of our lives and our thoughts. Oh, when the things of this world seem bleak, we as believers don't have to 
jump into the bleakness of the world. What, what, what should we do? We should rest in our living hope. It has been given to us through the new birth because of his great mercy. Well, we know how it was when we were lost. We didn't have any hope. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of those who were lost. As we all once were in verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, Remember that at that, that, at some, at that time excuse me, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. Before you were in Christ, you were without hope. Some of you today in this room are without hope. You say, well, I didn't know that. Yes, if you were not in Christ, you were without hope. You can't leave here today saying, I don't know that any longer. You must leave here today saying, some man told me that if I am not in Christ, I have no hope. You have no living hope. You have no hope for eternity. He says, but now, verse 13, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, those people who were without hope, the current calls of this world have been brought near through the blood of Christ. It is because of the blood of Christ that we receive great mercy. We receive the new birth because of that great mercy into a living hope. He goes on to say this about that living hope. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope in this new birth that is a gift granted to us by God's great mercy. A living hope because of a living Savior. Oh, can we all agree that a dead Savior couldn't do much, could he? A dead Savior would be powerless to give any of us new life. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, we're weeks away from Easter. We talk about the resurrection every week here. That's why we joined together on Sundays, because it was the first day of the week that the Lord resurrected from the grave, fulfilling His promise that He truly was the Messiah who came to save all who would trust in Him. We have new birth into a living hope because of a living Savior. Although the reality of our new birth rests in Christ, in Christ alone, and the resurrection of Christ and that alone. In fact, it's more than just the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. It's the fact of what he said in John chapter 11, verse 25, when he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will never die. Though your mortal body perish and go back to the ground, you will live forever. You'll live forever in Christ. Because he's a living Savior. I'm thankful that we have the mercy of a living Savior. Did you know he stands even now? as a mediator between us and the Father, as our great high priest who offered himself as a sacrifice once for all sin. What mercy we see in Christ. What, what great mercy we see that he is alive. In fact, Scripture says he is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he is making intercession for you and for me, those of us who are in Christ. Oh, go there with me for a moment, if you would, in your mind and meditate on that fact. When the Word says that His mercies are new every morning, why are they new every morning? It's because our Savior is alive every morning as our great High Priest, seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, forever making intercession for us. 
Because he lives, all of us who are in Christ live. A new life through regeneration, which we're talking about here as God's gift of great mercy, but also an eternal life that we will live because of that same mercy. We will talk much about that in just a little while. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. It says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Does that mean everyone will be resurrected? No, that all there is specifically talking about the believers, those who trust in Christ. And those who trust in Christ have the guarantee because of his great mercy that they will live. They will live forever. Well, may we thank God as Peter is doing here, giving him the doxa, the glory that he deserves. May we praise God this morning for his great mercy in giving us new birth. I want you to see that, church. He didn't have to. So many times we forget that. We become arrogant in our Phariseeism, acting as if we deserve it. I can't speak of you and your understanding, but I can speak of me and my understanding. What I can say is this, Kirk Hall deserves the depths of hell for all eternity. But thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given me new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, the first gift of God's great mercy, the new birth, the second one is this. God has not only given us new birth through His great mercy, He has given us eternal security. Look at verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never... I want you to underline that in your Bible. Use a red pen, use something, a highlighter, where you will see it every time you come to that passage. Never. Never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I talked to you this morning about eternal security. I know a difficult doctrine for many people to accept. I'm going to help you out. The reason that you can't accept this difficult doctrine is simply this. You don't know what the word never means. My prayer for you is that you would go back to even a Webster's Dictionary, that you would pull up the definition of never. It means this, that there is no chance that it is not going to happen. Not that it is improbable, it is impossible. And so when we look at this, I want you to see the mercy of God in giving to us eternal security. Yes, a difficult thing for many to understand. And the reason that they can't understand it is because they think that God's mercy is like our mercy. Right, here's how our mercy works. As long as you toe the line after we have our little talk, I'll keep giving you mercy. But if you mess it up, You'll receive no more mercy from me. Let me help you understand. Maybe you grew up with a mother or you grew up with a father who held those things against you your whole life, never giving you true mercy. Don't let that enter into your thoughts about God. God is a God of great mercy. And in his mercy, we find security. These people who think that God somehow saves a person, and then when a person blows it, 
He withdraws his mercy. Simply just do not understand the word never. He'll never take that from you. It is a gift of his great mercy. David understood the great mercy of God. I pray that we would understand that mercy today, how it far exceeds the mercy of humans, so that you don't misunderstand what the greatness of God's mercy really is. David understood it, in fact, in 2 Samuel 24. I'm going to read verse 14 for you. You can go back in 24 and read this when you have time. I'll give you the backdrop on the story in a moment. But David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. He says, let us fall into the hands of the Lord. He thought he was going to fall in the hands of his enemies, but he says, let us fall in the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Ha, what an interesting statement. Why is that statement so interesting? Because David knew that God's mercy is greater than any mercy that he would ever receive from men. You go back and you look at this story. What's happened here, uh, the prophet Gad has brought David a message. And he brought David a message because David had disobeyed God. He was told not to count, take a census, but he did. He counted as fighting men. You say, well, why? It's irrelevant. Why? He was told not to do it, yet he, the Lord then allowed him to do it so that the Lord could then bring judgment upon him. Gad comes and he gives him some options here. He says, okay, David, here's what the Lord said. Two of those options were that he would fall into the hand of God. One, that he would fall into the hand of his enemies. And David understood God's great mercy to the point where he said, I don't want to fall to the hands of my enemies. I want to fall into the hands of God. And I will take whatever God has to bring against me for the judgment that I owe because I know this, that God is a God of mercy. And he's a God of compassion and that his anger and his indignation against me will not last forever. Well, may we see today as we look at eternal security that God's mercy is completely different than the mercy of men. In fact, lost man has no godly understanding of true biblical mercy at all. We want to get our pound of flesh in. We want to get our pound of flesh in at any cost. But God is a God of great mercy. Because of this great gift of His mercy, His great mercy, we have eternal security. God would have to cease in the greatness of His mercy for any of us to ever lose salvation. Aren't you thankful today that He will not cease to be who He is? He is immutable, unchangeable, always the same. Which brings us to a place where we are secure in our eternal inheritance. That's what Peter is talking about here. That we are secure in our eternal inheritance because of God's great mercy. He says it's an inheritance that can never, I told you to underline that, never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. So if you were going to somehow lose salvation, <laughs> you would have to somehow travel to heaven. As we're going to see John say in John chapter 10, you're going to have to somehow pry the hand of God open and remove yourself from the hand of God, which you can't do because there's none greater than God. So you are secure because of his great mercy, secure in your eternal inheritance. 
There are many people, they say, well, that's not what I was taught. May we leave our traditions today and adhere to the Word of God? May we leave the traditions of men, the error of men. May we cling to the Word of God. I know what many of you say. Well, if I was God, I would. It doesn't matter what you would do if you were God. You're never going to be God. You can't even fully understand God. Stop thinking like that and see who God is. He is a God of great mercy. He is a God of great and eternal security for those who he has given his mercy. You don't believe me? Let's just ask Jesus. Surely Jesus holds more weight than your childhood Pentecostal pastor. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will, here's that word again, never. I told you, they don't understand the word never. I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Watch this. That I shall lose none of all that he has given me. How many is he going to lose? None of all that the Father has given him. It's interesting that people would say this, and they do say it all around you. Maybe some in this room who have bought into this lie and this error. They would say this. Well, you're saved until you mess up again. To which I always ask, how many times? How many times do I have to mess up? What is that magic number? There is no magic number that they can give me. I can give them a magic number, John 6, 37 through 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. It is a guarantee. It is good as done. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. A lot of times they don't understand the definition of eternal. That means forever. God can't give you eternal life and then you lose it. That would be temporal life. Now God's a liar. And what in the world are we doing? He gives eternal life. And he says, and I will raise him up at the last day. Why do we have the comfort of eternal security? God's great mercy. That is so different from man's mercy. It is the mercy that David said, give me that mercy because I know that he will chastise me. But I know that I will forever be with him. That he will once again show his love and his kindness, his mercy to me. John is... 10th chapter of his gospel records Jesus again speaking on this subject of eternal security. He says in chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. There's that word again, never. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. As recipients of the mercy of God, if you have received his great mercy, know this, you are eternally secure. Not just because of what Kirk Hall is telling you today. I'm only telling you what the word of God says. So this is coming directly from God. In fact, some of the things that I've said have come directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. He says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that has ever existed or will ever exist that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ. Because he has lavished his great mercy upon you. Peter is teaching this. God's elect to the church, wanting them to know this. That they are secure in their eternal inheritance. Not only that, when we look at eternal security, you're secure in your in 
eternal inheritance, but you're also shielded by God's power. He says this in verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until you mess it up big time. No, that's not what it says. By faith you are shielded until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. You're shielded by God's power until Christ comes back to claim you as his own. What comfort we find there from the great mercies of God. We're shielded by God's power. Why? Because of faith in Christ. Is that faith that he has given us by his grace that allows us to be justified before God. That faith in Christ is atoning work on the cross. How long? How long will this keep me? How long will this shield me? Just like it said, until salvation is complete. When will salvation be complete? When Christ returns. When you're glorified. When you are living in the presence of God. You've read the end of the book. Revelation chapter 22 tells you what it is when it's complete. God is dwelling with us and we are dwelling with him in restored paradise. It's restored only because of the mercy, the great mercy of God through Jesus Christ to those who he has redeemed. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, being confident of this, that he who has began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish what he started. His great mercy started something in your life when you were born again. The new life, the regenerated life in Christ. And it is his great mercy that is going to keep you eternally and finish the work that he has begun in Christ. How does he do this? How does he keep us? How does he continue this work? By his indwelling and abiding Holy Spirit. Well, where would we be today without the indwelling, abiding Holy Spirit? In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul sounds a lot like Peter here in verses 4 and 5. But he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. How does he do this? He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? The redemption of all the saints, the resurrection of all the saints. It is to come. And he says, the spirit indwelling you is what constantly gives you that guarantee, no matter what you face in life. We're shielded by God's power, his indwelling and abiding Holy Spirit. It's Ephesians, Paul says it like this again. Chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We have eternal security because of God's great mercy in Christ Jesus, because of his indwelling Holy Spirit that lives in those of us who believe. I'm so thankful for the reminders internally that we receive from the Holy Spirit. You know, some of those reminders are like this. When I try to participate in iniquity, now the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, no, you're no longer a child of sin. You are a child of God. And a child of God does not behave like that. He takes me back to the Word and reminds me that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. That all the old is gone and all things have become 
new. Why? Because of that new birth, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit who is sanctifying me, making me more like Christ as he is conforming me to the image that God desires me to be, and that is the image of his only begotten Son. He is our guarantee. So here's what would have to happen if you were to somehow lose salvation. Somehow, you would have to cancel out the words that Jesus taught. Somehow, you would have to go to heaven, remove yourself from the hand of the Father. Somehow, you would have to take the shield of God's power from your life that he promises is not going to be taken from you because the work that he started in you, he will finish it. When we look at any other doctrine other than the doctrine of eternal security, surely when we look at this biblically, immediately all other doctrines become foolish. They reveal that man has no clear understanding of God's gift of great mercy. So we see his gift of the new birth. We see his gift of eternal security. And we'll finish our study today with this, the third gift of God's mercy which is something that often we forget. Even at times we take it for granted. And that is the joy for our suffering. Joy for our suffering. Look at verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice in what? The new birth, through a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the fact that you are eternally secure, your inheritance is kept for you, never perishing, spoiling, or fading, shielded by God's power till the coming of salvation that we all wait for, right? The finality of salvation. You do know this by this point in time. We are saved. We're being saved. And we will be saved. We are saved. Justification. We're being saved. Sanctification. We will be saved. Glorification. We're waiting for that. We're longing for that. At least I hope you are because the Apostle Paul says there's a crown that awaits me. A crown of righteousness, but not just for me alone, but for all those who long for his appearing. And why do we long for his appearing? So that Christ will be glorified in the finality of our salvation. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving this, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He speaks there of the mercy and the great mercy of giving us joy for our suffering. I know that's foreign to the American church so many times where we sit on padded chairs in an air conditioning, well-lit building with all of our family and our friends. But this is new to the church. Well, the church throughout the ages understood suffering. That's why when Peter writes this, He's not making a big deal about it. They were already suffering. What he wants them to see is this. God, the greatness of his mercy, 
gives you joy in the midst of any trial, any pain, any suffering that you might incur along the way. His mercy has given us insight into some things. As we look at this text, God in His mercy, using Peter to give us this insight, because we're all going to face trials of some kind. How do we know this? Jesus said it in this life, you'll face many kinds of trials. Many kinds of trials. And he wants to give us insight into the purpose of our suffering so that we can have joy in the midst of our suffering. If you want to have joy in the midst of suffering as a believer, you have to understand the purpose of your suffering. He tells us what the purpose, purpose is there in 6 and 7. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What is the purpose of our suffering? It is the strengthening of your faith. Rejoice. Rejoice when you face trials of many kinds. Is that not what James says when he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers? James 1, 2 through 4, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. May we approach the trials of this life clinging to the great mercy of God. That's what he's showing us here. That he's given us joy in the midst of our suffering. That we're not to fret and to bellyache and to whine and to complain and to moan and groan just because things don't go the way that we thought they ought to go. That's the attitude of the spoiled American church. But we ought to say this, Lord, may I count it joy because I know this. I have been given great mercy from God through Jesus Christ. And this suffering and this trial is for a greater purpose. That purpose is to strengthen me that I would bring glory and honor and praise to you. Let me not be those who depart from the faith just because things become difficult. May I say this as boldly as I can? Those who depart from the faith when things become difficult never were in the faith at all. Or they would persevere. John says they went out from us because they were not of us. So we must see the purpose of our suffering. It's to strengthen our faith. It is to mature us. It is to prove the authenticity of our faith. To who? To everyone even to yourself, because true faith will always persevere. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says this in verse 39, but we, talking about the church, the true believer, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. In a, in a world where all of these so-called Christians are deconstructing their faith and they are walking away from Christ. You know why they're walking away from Christ? Because they have never received the greatness of His mercy. When you receive the greatness of his mercy, you will realize that you have a reason to rejoice in the midst of your suffering. Why? Because you've not yet suffered to the point of death as your merciful Savior did for you. 
Someone looked at me strange the other day. I was worn out. I was tired. They said, you look tired. You look beat up. Everything okay? Everything's great. He looked at me kind of sideways like, how can you say everything's great? And I looked at him. I said, there's no nails in my hands. There's no nails in my feet. No one's just, just jabbed a crown of thorns down on my brow. Everything's great. And I know that they thought I was crazy. I wasn't giving them a Sunday school answer. I wasn't being hyper-spiritual. I know what the Word of God says, and the Word of God says that Kirk Hall has received great mercy in Christ. And because I have received great mercy in Christ, if I have to suffer for a little while in this earth through trials, through becoming weary, through becoming tired, then I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice that I have the opportunity and I get to pour out my life as a drink offering to the Savior who poured out His for me. And I rejoice. Oh, may we rejoice in seeing the purpose of our suffering, proving our faith authentic, maturing us and growing us to the place that Christ desires that we be. What is that place? Vessels who give Him praise, glory, and honor. May we see the richness of His mercy today, that He sustains us in every situation. Those of you who have walked with Christ for any amount of time, you know this. No trial that you have come through has ever whipped you, has it? Oh, if you were looking at it from your flesh, you thought it was going to. And if you continue to look at it from your flesh, it will. And you'll probably repeat that cycle over and over and over again until you get it. It's called a test, and God gives them. But he's testing you so that you will learn to praise him and to rejoice in him in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, so that he will receive praise and honor and glory. Not when things are going well in your life. That's the error of the charismatics. Praise him when everything's going good. And if, if you really do right, everything will always go good. No, it won't. There will be trials in your life. There will be suffering. There will be pain. There will be agony. There will be loss. But there is great hope in the midst of that. Why? Because of his great mercies in Christ. His great mercies. And in that you rejoice. That these trials, these sufferings, are only for a moment. But there is the promise of salvation. Just as Jude, verse 20 says this, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We rejoice and we praise Him, waiting on Him, resting in His love. He will bring to us eternal life. Our sufferings in this world, our hurt in this world, our trials in this world, they will soon come to an end. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Who doesn't lose heart? True Christian. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Oh, you focus on the eternal in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain. You focus on the promise of salvation that you have in Christ. And all of a sudden, the trials of this life shrink in comparison to the great mercy that God has given you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, we can rejoice because we have received these promises. The promise of mercy and salvation, we can rejoice. And all of His promises are true. It's when we doubt God's promises that we find ourselves in trouble, isn't it? But I love what Titus chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He says, I am Paul and I am here because I have a mission and I'm on mission for God. He says this in verse 2, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. He says, we have a faith and knowledge that rests on the hope of eternal life. And that hope for eternal life comes, why? Because of God's great mercy. Through a living hope, through the resurrection of the dead, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, oh, we go back to how Peter started this lesson, that you were chosen as the elect based on the foreknowledge of God before the beginning of time. And before the beginning of time, he has made a promise to save all of those who he has elected unto salvation. And he will fulfill that promise to the T. All who the Father has given me will come. Aren't you thankful today to be counted among the all? And why are you counted among the all? Because of His great mercy. Oh, may we rejoice in that great mercy and the gifts that that mercy contains. The gift of new life. We have seen clearly today the gift of eternal security and the gift of joy for our suffering. May we rest in His great mercy this morning. Where would we be? Where would you be without the gift of God's great mercy? Think on this today. Meditate on it. I know quickly we leave here, we close our Bibles, and that's the end sometimes of our thought process in regard to what we have seen in the Word of God. Let it not be so. May you today meditate on just that thought. Where would, would I be without the gift of God's great mercy? And see if you're not moved to a place of rejoicing and celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what situation and circumstance your life is in right now. Where would we be? I know where I would be without God's great mercy. And I also know where you would be without it. I know where some of you who are here today who do not know His mercy are. Here's where you are. You haven't received His mercy through Christ Jesus. You're trapped in your old life. Uh, you have no new life to proclaim. Uh, you're trapped in a life of sin and a life of filth. You're wa wa wandering around in circles over and over and over, wondering to yourself why this cycle can't be broken, because man can't break that cycle. cycle of godlessness. cycle of sin. 
The only way that that cycle can be broken is if God extends His great mercy into your life through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of His Spirit. Well, you have a life that is void of peace and purpose. Oh, I know just what you are if you don't understand His great mercy. How? Because I once did not understand His great mercy. I once lived for myself and I once lived for my sin. May you hear the gospel today that there is a God of great mercy who forgives even the most wicked sinners. I know where you are. If you're not in Christ today, walking in the great mercy of God, you have no hope. You have no assurance. I'm not talking about the things of this world. I'm talking about the things of eternity that is to come. You have no hope of eternal life. But you have what the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 27 says this. He says that the only thing that you have is a fearful expectation of judgment, raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Did you know this? If you have not received the great mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. You're not a friend of God. You're not a child of God. I know that's not popular in our liberal and relevant world to tell someone that they're not a child of God. But friend, please hear me. There was a time in my life that I was not a child of God. I was a child of sin and I was a child of Satan, Satan, wandering my own way, doing my own thing for my own desires and my own pleasures, knowing nothing of the fact that I needed great mercy from God because I had not seen how great my sin was. But on that day that he showed me how great my sin was, his grace became even greater in my life. His mercy became even greater in my life. He saved a wretched scoundrel for his glory, for his praise. Those of you who have no hope today, please see that there is hope and assurance in Christ for eternal life. Turn to him today, repenting of your sin, confessing your need for him. Well, I know also this. You have not received his great mercy. You're suffering right now in this life, just as we all do with no hope and no joy and no peace. Would you turn to Christ today? The one who suffered on a cross in your place so that he could bring you peace and joy and salvation. Would you turn to Christ today? Oh, friend, if you need God's great mercy, cry out today to Christ. He will save you from all of your sin. And he will lavish the mercy and grace of God upon you, not only in this life, but for all eternity. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you thanking you so much for the great mercy of Christ. Oh, I pray for the soul who's here today who is in need of that mercy. Make that clear to them now, Lord. By your Spirit, quicken them to hear and receive the truth. Open their blinded eyes. Open their deaf ears. The words of this message would go to their dead souls that you would regenerate them to new life today. Even while they're in their sin, they would see their need for Christ. They would cry out to you for mercy. Lord, we know this, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May you today, by your great mercy, allow them to call upon you that they would be saved by that same mercy. We'll give you the praise for it. I pray for the Christian who's here today. 
May you rejoice. No matter where your life is right now, may you rejoice afresh and anew in the gifts of God's great mercy. Thanking Him for it, giving Him the doxology that He deserves. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.